0: Good morning, and how do you like to follow that? Thank you very much, young people. Good job. It is Christmas, and that's a wonderful time of year where we all experience God's love, His peace, and we, uh, His grace. So please extend grace uh, to others as well. Particularly the guy leading your sermon today. This is uh, an interesting time. An interesting time. Have you ever prayed for something and then God exceeds your expectations? Comes through in a big way? Yeah, I have. I graduated from seminary in May of 2019. And my fervent prayer was that the Lord would give me a job a job in ministry, a job with a church, and through many ups and downs, he led me to Oak Hills Community Church, where not just me, but my family has been accepted and loved. And so I prayed for a job, and I got a family, a church family, way more than we ever thought. So this is why Jesus had to come as a baby. They prayed for a Messiah, right? Israel was praying for a Messiah and they got a baby. But this is why he had to come as a baby. We're going to start by looking at Isaiah 7:14, and it tells us that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This has been debated by theologians and reveled in by Christians throughout the church age. The debate swirls around how much of this relates to Jesus 700 years after this prophecy was given and how much it relates to Isaiah's wife at the time. The New Testament makes it clear that this prophecy speaks of Jesus who was born to the Virgin Mary. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Lots of women were having babies about this time, but this birth is incredibly special. What claims does the Bible make? Well, first, there is something special about this young bride She's a virgin. Now, no skeptics guffaw about this, but keep in mind this is not, as they say, just a girl who got pregnant. This is not an attempt to cover up uh, an encounter. Nope. How do we know? It was predicted. Seven centuries earlier, the most well known prophet in the Bible, Isaiah, prophesied this event, that a woman who had never known a man would give birth. He predicted many things, amazing predictions. And also amazing is the name of a child, Emmanuel. Now names today have little or no significance. Parents are often naming children after names that sound cool or just like the sound of the name, Uh, or maybe it's, you know, has some Family significance. But back then, names had a real meaning. And parents took great thought in the names they gave to their children. And of course, when God tells you to name a baby something, you name the baby that. This baby's name means God with us. Jesus is God with us. The Gospel of John hammers this point over and over again. It is predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and to this, the writers of the Bible all testify that Jesus is God with us. Now, other Old Testament predictions confirm this line of thinking. Isaiah 9-6 says, For to us a child is born, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is definitely not Isaiah's son. Look at the names, Wonderful Counselor. That one seems pretty self-obvious, but the Mighty God? Really? A human child born is going to be the Mighty God? The everlasting father? Well, now, wait a minute. Let's back up a little bit here. Here, the everlasting father is more like the father of the country. If he was American, we might consider George Washington, right? The father of our country. So this is not God the father as the everlasting father, but the father of the renewed Israel. And of course, the prince of peace. This is not Isaiah's son. This speaks of the savior, the coming king who will uplift and restore. This is Jesus. We believe Jesus had to come, take on human flesh and be a part of humanity. He had to do this to live among us, be one of us and fulfill numerous biblical prophecies. Zechariah 12:10 reads, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. What does that mean? Mourning for the one they pierced? Well, this talks about a time when Israel, which currently is an unbelief concerning their Messiah, even today, most Hebrews deny Jesus is the Messiah. But this time is the time that Zechariah is mentioning here is the time when they will look upon Jesus and they will mourn for the acts of their forefathers, Namely, they're going to grieve that the Jewish ruling class in the days of Jesus on earth used the Romans to kill the rightful Messiah. This is talking about the return, not just the incarnation 2,000 years ago, but the future return of Christ when all of Israel will repent and they will come to accept Christ and fulfill God's promise Now, has this return happened yet? No, which means that it's going to happen in the future. No promise of the word of God will ever fail. It has never failed. Everything the Bible promises will be fulfilled. In order for Jesus to be killed in this way, he had to first be born. He had to take on human flesh. Why? Because God, who cannot die, must take on true humanity, which can die, so that he can pay the penalty our sins deserve. That's profound. God is going to leave heaven, come to earth as a human, live perfectly, and give himself up as a living sacrifice for people who are his enemies to save them. That is the miracle of Christianity. Now, as far as messianic expectations go, prophecies in the Bible, it's clear that the Son of God must come to earth and become a man to fulfill these prophecies. But did people expect Jesus to come? Put another way, was there a messianic expectation amongst the folks? Did people really anticipate the coming of Messiah? Did they expect him to come as a baby as we celebrate Christmas at this time of year? The first person we're going to look at is a fellow named Nicodemus. Jesus meets with Nicodemus. It's recorded in John chapter 3. We often talk about being born again or being born from above. And that phrase comes from this chapter in John. So did this guy Nicodemus have the credentials to know what to expect? Well, he was a Pharisee, meaning he was a religious expert (laughs) known for knowing the scriptures. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And Jesus says he is the teacher of Israel, not a teacher of Israel, but the teacher, the top guy, the one who should know everything there is to know about Scripture, particularly pertaining to Messiah. Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus is from God. How? By the miracles Jesus performed. And how would we respond if somebody said, oh, you're from God. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm quite flattered by that. No, that's not how Jesus responded, though. Here, Nicodemus has come at night and is seeking something. Jesus cuts to the chase, and he declares, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, if Nicodemus had remembered his scripture, particularly Ezekiel chapter 36, he could have understood Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms, but he didn't recognize it, and Jesus chided him. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The title Jesus applied to himself. This is what Jesus is saying. If you don't understand what I'm telling you in earthly terms, how are you going to understand about heavenly things? Because the only person who's been to heaven on earth is the guy who came from heaven. That would be me. So here you have the great teacher who didn't know these things. And perhaps people didn't expect Messiah to come. Here he is, Jesus, the Christ, Messiah, standing in front of him and he misses it no expectation. Well, let's look at the next chapter, John chapter four, and an unlikely convert. Jesus had to go through a rough part of town or a rough part of the country, a place called Samaria. Now it was home to people of mixed Jewish and Gentile ancestry, people the Jews would not associate with. It's an evidence of Jewish racism or ethnic bigotry. See, there's nothing new in human condition. We've always wanted to find reasons to hate somebody else who was different than us. Jews were no exception. They hated the Samaritans. But Jesus is different. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because it was where there was someone God was about to save. And there were people there in need of saving. So Jesus hangs out at a well while his fellow travelers head to town to buy more supplies, to buy food and drink. So he meets a woman there. He initiates a friendship with her, it's an evangelical encounter. He asks for a drink of water. She's a little surprised. Because, of course, Jesus is a Jew. She asked him, you're a Jew and you're talking to me, a Samaritan woman? His conversation was more friendly than her fellow townspeople. And I think she senses that he didn't judge her because he possibly cared about her. You see, in John chapter 4, verse 3, we read that this encounter happened at noon. Now, when would be the normal time for the ladies of the house to go to the well and draw water for the day? First thing in the morning, exactly. And yet here is this woman who's showing up at noon. Why? Because there's nobody else there. She's an outcast of the outcasts. She's been rejected. She is somebody of disreputable character, even amongst the Samaritans who are not known for their morally upright standing. She's not acceptable. She's not part of the in crowd. And yet this is the person Jesus traveled to that well to talk to. Yeah. So at one point, he turns the conversation to spiritual things. After getting over some hurdles, she says... She knows that someday Messiah will come and that he will make these things clear to them. She, this woman with a questionable past and with a present that doesn't hold her up to any kind of morally virtuous agent, she's expecting and hoping for the coming of Messiah. It is not the righteous people that are looking for Messiah in the first century. It's the people who are hurting, the people who are lost in sin, the people who are suffering. Now the next words are some of the most exciting in Scripture. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This has brought joy to To generations and generations of Christians. Centuries of waiting, and here comes Jesus, and he said, the time is fulfilled. The Messiah you people have been looking for, for at least a thousand years, has been fulfilled. I am he, I am Messiah. I am the one you're waiting for who is coming here, and I'm coming here for you woman at the well in Samaria. The high and mighty folks missed out on Jesus, didn't they? The religious leaders, the secular authority, the guys with all the power, the clout, the elites. But the lowly, the needy, those who are hurting and grieving, they saw and welcomed the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So the next thing she did is also pretty incredible. She goes into town amongst the people who have been ostracizing her, ridiculing her, and possibly persecuting her for her lifestyle. She goes into town and said, this man, could he be the Messiah? Now by asking the question... She piqued their interest, so they came to check him out. If there was no expectation of Messiah, they would not have come. So we see in Samaria, there are people who have been heard about Messiah, been taught about Messiah, and they're looking for him. They're looking for him. And again, these are the people the Jewish folks in Judea, Jerusalem, hated because they were of mixed ancestry. They didn't have the right papa, or maybe they didn't have the right mama, or maybe they just looked funny. They didn't look like people of good racial purity. Yeah. Could they have known when? This is our next question. We're talking about expectations. Are they looking for Jesus and then Could they have known when? Does Scripture say? Well, yes, it does. In Daniel 9, 24 through 27, it charts out a timeline. Starting with a decree in 444 B.C. and ending when? During the life of Jesus. Specifically predicting the time Messiah would be cut off which is a term used to meaning he's gonna be killed. He died for the sins of his people as predicted. Uh, There's a man named Harold Hainer who was Pastor Mark's professor uh, and he did his PhD dissertation on the chronological aspects of the life of Christ at Cambridge. It's a classic work and an excellent study of chronology related to Christ. And he shows how this prophecy is fulfilled. It was possible for the Bible teachers of that day to know when the coming would occur. Did anyone beside the woman in John 4 have hopes of Messiah coming? Some common people did. Look at Andrew. In John 1:35 through 42, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And I think they were a little caught off guard by that. This this, next answer or question, seems to be kind of a stumbling around trying to find something. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, "uh, where are you staying? This guy could be the Messiah and this is the best they could come up with. Where are you staying? Well, Jesus, ever patient, says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. I doubt sincerely they were talking about the furniture and the place Jesus will stay. No, they're talking about the good stuff. Like, who are you? Where you come from? What's your purpose? Why are you here? Why are you here now? And what's going to happen? What are you going to do? So after they'd been talking a while, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him, meaning Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, here's a little Sermon in a Sermon, if you're ever worried about not being good at evangelism, think of Andrew. Bible, the Bible mentions Andrew only converted or brought one person to Christ, and it was his brother Peter. That's a pretty important guy to bring to Christ, right? So when you're witnessing the folks, don't you worry about it if they don't just all fall on the floor. and Don't you worry about numbers or anything like that. You just be faithful and you trust the Lord and share God's love. Christmas is a great time to do that. Okay, back to the deal. You see, we have found the Messiah. Andrew was looking, and when he found Jesus, he knew he had found the Messiah, but it wasn't just him. He says, we have found. So those with him shared this extraordinary expectation. When Messiah comes... We now know it. He's here. And now we can't help but to share it with everybody else. Amen? You're filled with that joy. We found the solution to every problem we've ever had, and it's in Jesus Christ. Peter, you got to meet this guy. Come on. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun to have that kind of joy that you want to go around and share it with others just like Andrew did? Nothing's stopping you. Let's go, right? Yeah. Well, still others shared this wonderful expectation. We know about the wise men. We sang about that earlier this morning. The wise men from the East traveled far. We don't know how many there were, but since they brought the gifts, we assume there were three because they brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Now, someone has mentioned that the fourth guy brought fruitcake, so they left him out of the song. (laughs) But really, where did these men from the east get such knowledge that they would travel hundreds of miles, probably by camel to see the baby born in Bethlehem because they were from Babylon? Now, when God allowed the Babylonians to take Judah captive, the southern kingdom of Israel, and carry off three successive ways of citizens, leaving only a very few poor folks left. They took the scriptures with them. Now all of that happened, the last conquest of Jerusalem occurred in 586 BC, almost 600 years before Jesus was born, the Jews were mostly deported out of the promised land. But they took the scriptures with them. A few were faithful, Most of the Hebrews were not faithful. They were idolatrous pagans, just as bad as the Babylonians, and which is why God allowed the Babylonians to take them out of the promised land. He'd had enough, but some were faithful. And some took the scriptures, and there's no doubt that they shared those scriptures with some of their captors. They were talking about God and his holy writings. And these holy writings include predictions of Messiah, the Savior. So when the star or the shining appeared, they followed it until they had, were brought to the baby. It appears that even as far away as Babylon, there was messianic hope. Were these wise men believers? Certainly seems that way, does it not? Bible tells us that after they deposited the gifts, saw the baby, worshipped him, that God spoke to them a dream and told them to go back by a different way because Herod was on the lookout. Yeah, from the very beginning, Jesus did not come just to save Israel. He came to save humanity. May we be as moved by the baby Jesus as the wise men. And may we show our hope for the coming again of Messiah. We don't know, and we can't know the day he will return. But the hope remains, because it is God's promise. When John the Baptist, he had some questions. Now, he had foretold Jesus was coming, and he even saw, when he saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. But then, things changed kind of didn't go as planned for John. He ended up in prison. The Messiah has come back and he gets arrested by this nut job Herod for preaching the truth about Herod and his nefarious activities with his daughter, stepdaughter. So, Matthew eleven two 2 through 6 says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah which included healing and preaching and teaching, but not ending the wickedness, not casting out the Romans, not pulling down those vipers, Pharisees, and straightening their tails out. No, that's not really what John would thought. So when he heard about the deeds of Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, uh, are you the one who is to come, or should we be expecting someone else? Someone like we would send. Somebody like, I want to see Jesus. And Jesus replied, you go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor." Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John not only believes in Jesus, but he proclaimed him to others. He baptized many for repentance from sins in preparation of the coming one. And many of his disciples had left John the Baptist to follow Jesus, the Messiah. But instead of Jesus being accepted, and so becoming the king of Israel, riding his white horse, with that flaming sword to cast out the bad guys, Jesus is doing something really, really different. He's humble. He's meek. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. He did not come with that flaming sword. So John finds himself in prison. Now, he's a prisoner. He hasn't been elevated with the coming of Messiah. So possibly he had some doubt. Are you really the one to come? Because it's not working out the way I expected, Jesus, I'll be honest. Yeah, so Jesus tells his disciples to look at the signs, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor, the marginalized, the outcast. Where are these signs recorded? Again, Isaiah. Isaiah. Chapter 35, 4 through 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see, Isaiah again predicts the future with accuracy. And Jesus again quotes Isaiah I've come to do the very things prophesied by Isaiah in regards to Messiah, to show you Messiah is here. There is no other religion like this. Predictions seven centuries earlier occurring with precise accuracy. This is only happens in Christianity, and it could only be done by Jesus Christ. These signs, these miracles, they were predictions of coming Messiah. These are the things that would be present when Messiah reigns. And Jesus did them to show forcefully that he was the person predicted. His reign was available to anyone who responded in faith. Jesus is kind, he is a gentleman. He does not force himself or his reign upon his people. He lets us make a choice. There is a chance it will not happen, at least not then and not in that generation, that Israel would accept its Messiah. And of course, we know they did not. It's like that now. God allows us to make up our own minds about Jesus. We have to ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus Christ? And once we answer that question, the next question we have to answer is, what am I going to do about it? He is either who he said he was or he is not. We see him as the babe of Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he is the bread of the world. The one who believes in him will not hunger. And he's speaking of spiritual hunger. Jesus satisfies those who place their faith in him alone. But what about water gushing in streams in the desert? See, that will happen too. Jesus has not come in his kingdom yet. 2,000 years ago, he initiated the kingdom. In his return, he will fulfill it. So we get a foretaste of Jesus when he came the first time. But following his rejection, he was crucified. That too was predicted. But there is coming a day when all of these prophecies will be a reality. There will be water gushing and streams in the desert. Everything will be perfected. That's Jesus' second coming. Finally, did Jesus tell the Jews that he was Messiah? Some say no, but scriptures tell a different story. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he was taken before the Jewish leaders. And they asked him, are you the Messiah? This was not seeking truth, but seeking a way to condemn him. Mark 14, 61, 62 says, Again the high priest asked him, Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was speaking in terms the religious leaders could not miss. He is claiming deity. I am, is the name Moses got speaking to the burning bush. When he says, What is the name of the God who is going to deliver his people? God says, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent you. You'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. God often appeared to Israel in the Exodus. Remember a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by night clouds. And he says son of man, that's right out of Daniel. The prediction of Messiah would be the son of man. See, we believe Jesus had to come Take on human flesh to save humanity. Jesus took on flesh. He became human to save humanity, to be our savior. You see, the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death. And in order to redeem all humanity, someone holy, divine, must die to meet the just demand of righteousness and justice of God since none of us could do it and God could not be unloving toward the human race he created and clearly loves, the son of God agreed with the father to come to earth, become human with divine blood so that his sacrificial death would redeem us. Only Jesus could do this. Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, once wrote, anyone can devise a plan by which good people may go to heaven. Only God can devise a plan whereby sinners who are his enemies can go to heaven. God's plan was to send the Son of God who took on experience as human, fully human. He lived among us. He experienced our passions and our hurts. God became one of us and experienced things we experience, yet he never sinned. God's eternal plan was for his son to pay with his life what we were lacking and provide life now and life forever. We could never make this happen. Only God could. And because of his incredible love for us, While we were his enemies, he did. His name says it all. We see this in Matthew chapter 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So, this leaves us with these three points. We believe Jesus had to come to take on human flesh, to be a part of humanity, to fulfill predictions God made about him, and to die for the redemption of all mankind. Praise be to Christmas. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who did the impossible. He made it possible for your enemies, sinners, to be forgiven, to come to you in faith and be saved by your grace. Jesus is the most wonderful gift that could ever be given, and you gave him freely to us. Lord, we thank you. We are humbled by your gift, and we are also rejoicing, rejoicing with a joy that comes from you also. Lord, help us to live out Christmas every day in our lives with joy, with peace, with calm assurance, never worrying or fearing about anything, but trusting you and sharing your love with others. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. In Jesus' name. Amen.